0: Today we're going to start a new series. We're going to start talking about how to make the Christian life work. And we're going to first talk about the Gospel of Grace. Now most people have an understanding of the gospel as being saved from sin. Uh, We can consider uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4, which say, uh, Paul talking to the church at Corinth, he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now in that, Paul is stating the Gospel as we know it. There at the only says that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And so most of the time we think of the Gospel as being saved from sin, and that's true. But there is a fundamental aspect of the gospel that is forgotten by believers after they first believe the gospel. And there is an underlying concept to it that we just kind of... It is either not impacted in our minds or we just we don't hold on to it because it's very easy once you become a Christian that you're like, oh, there's a lot of stuff I don't know. And so you can get into things like studying things that are just knowledge-based. And knowledge is good. Knowledge is necessary for growth in the Christian life. Or you can get involved in a church or a ministry, some kind of community. But something usually happens, and then eventually you find your Christian life just not working. You know, you're not overcoming sin. You're struggling with certain things. You're not growing. Your prayer life begins to wane. All sorts of things and that you see in the scriptures that are not supposed to be the case, but that end up being the case. And so there's this disconnect between what the scriptures say a Christian is and how they are and what is in your life. And you're like, well, is this me? Is there something else? And so that's kind of why we're starting to go through this series. And so, but usually when we think about the, the gospel, we kind of focus on that aspect. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. You go through the good person test with people, all sorts of stuff, where it's all about you're not righteous, he is righteous, and you know, he paid your debt. And yes, it's like, yes, that's true. But there is a fundamental aspect of the gospel that is being forgotten by believers after they first believe the gospel. Um, We can consider in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, uh, reading from the New King James Version, Paul says, But none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy, and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, the term gospel um, comes from the Greek word euangelion. Um, It means good news, glad tidings. You know, it is a message of some kind that is positive. And so whenever Paul's saying here, he says his ministry, which he received from the Lord Jesus, was to testify or tell others about the good news of the grace of God. And that's what he was commissioned to do. And so you could say that that's what he was sent to testify to the nations about, the good news of the grace of God. Most of us, though, don't have a complete view of the word grace, we have a very limited view. of We think of it as being forgiven for sins or the limited definition to a certain Hebrew word in the Old Testament, which is unmerited favor. And there's nothing wrong with that. It is a part of grace, but it's not the entirety of grace. Um, oftentimes, well, to give you an analogy, you can imagine it's like, this is the idea that's kind of conjured up in our minds when we think of grace. That it's like, and Jesus was walking by one day, he walks by a pig pen, and he sees a pig wallowing in the mud, it's filthy. And he walks up, and he just picks up the, the pig, and he gives him a big warm hug, and says, I love you. And that's kind of how most people think of grace. They just think of it as a warm hug from God that makes you feel like God loves you. And it's, there's nothing wrong with that necessarily, but it's such a small aspect of what biblical grace, of the grace of God is. And especially with some of the perversions that has happened in Christianity today, the hyper-grace movement, grace has become cheapened. Um, you can think people from uh, decades ago, actually probably this point, a hundred years ago, people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, where who talked about the, the cheap grace. And if all you think of grace is that it's about your forgiveness, or God saying he loves you and making you feel better, then yeah, you have a cheap grace. You do not have a proper concept of biblical grace. The grace of God is very, very powerful. And that's why we're talking about it. But we also, we we, we associate it with forgiveness of sins, and that's true. But it's not the whole thing. There is a warning, actually, from Jude in Scripture that we need to watch out for false teachers who teach a perverted view of grace. Um, You can read in Jude verses 3 and 4, there's only one chapter, uh, reading from the New American Standard Bible, we see, "...beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints." For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want you to focus on that phrase in that last part. He says there are these ungodly persons who have snuck into the fellowships. They're not a cult out somewhere. They've snuck into the fellowships. And he says that they turn the grace of God into licentiousness. Now, that's a big word, and a lot of us don't use that daily. Um, And So let's compare a couple versions real quick. In the King James Version, it says they're turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. That's also a word most people might not be familiar with. Um, But when you look at a couple other versions, you get the idea. Um, The New King James Version, who turned the grace of our God into lewdness. Um, the NRV I believe, has the best rendering for this passage. He says, who changed the grace of our God into a license for immorality. And the word license there, you can see that in the word licentiousness in Jude and the New American Standard Bible. Licentiousness, license, that's that's what it's referring to. And all these are trying to pick up on the idea and help you to understand the idea that there are people who use the grace of God as an excuse to not obey God really. And there's, so there's this false view of grace teaches that you can sin because God has forgiven you. If I mean if you are saved by God's grace, and salvation is not dependent um, on your working to earn it, then how can you do anything to lose it? Um, and this is this kind of view of grace is exactly what the early church writers fought long and hard against. Paul actually addresses it in the book of Romans uh, with his diatribe in Romans chapter 6, where he says, um, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be, or God forbid, in some translations. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? And so Paul's like, this is a wicked view of grace. This is not biblical grace, and actually it didn't come from Christianity. It came from incipient Gnosticism, really. And you know that that view is translated down today in the view of unconditional security, of eternal security as most teach it. Um, But our point today is not to talk about perversion of the biblical teaching of grace, but let's talk about what biblical grace is, because we're in a series talking about how to make the Christian life work, and you need to understand this concept. But when we look through the New Testament, we see that there is more to grace than a simple warm hug view of it. Um, for instance let's just look at some passages and see how grace is referenced. Um, the grace of God can be upon you in Luke two forty and Acts chapter four verse thirty three. You can be full of grace Acts chapter six verse eight. It can be witnessed by others. Acts chapter eleven verse twenty three. You must continue in it. Acts chapter thirteen verse forty three. The gospel is the word of God. Of his grace, Acts chapter 14 verse 3. Uh, We believe through grace, Acts chapter 18 verse 27. We are justified as a gift by his grace, Romans chapter 3 verse 24. We're told you stand in grace, Romans chapter 5 verse 2. Spiritual gifts are a grace from God, Romans chapter 12 verse 6. You can receive the grace of God in vain, 2 Corinthians 6.1 and you can fall from grace Galatians chapter 5 verse 4 now this is only a few of the mentions of grace in the New Testament that kind of show that grace is more than just forgiveness or a warm hug from God but let's consider the gospel again why did Jesus have to die for us well he paid the penalty for our sins why didn't Jesus have a penalty to pay for himself like he, he came to be, became a man and all mankind has fallen. so why didn't Jesus who became a man have to pay a penalty for himself? because he never sinned right if you don't um, the wages of sin is death. what you get when before God whenever you sin is you earn death really and so he never sinned therefore he didn't have a penalty to pay for himself. So in essence, he he did, and this is the underlying point of the gospel, he did what we could not do. He obeyed God the Father. And I want you to think about that. He obeyed God the Father. And this is exactly what he came to do. Um, He was the Lamb of God. John chapter 1, verse 29, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. Whenever a lamb was going to be slaughtered and sacrificed, it had to be spotless, and there's so much typology and pictures around that i don't want to get into it now because we'll just spend some, too much time talking about it but he was sinless so that he could be a sacrifice and by willfully laying down his own life to make a payment for sins to pay a penalty that he did not have he didn't have to he did not owe a penalty but he willfully laid his life down to pay for that penal, a penalty anyways so there is this payment for sin for anyone who will ask for it. Um, for instance, Romans 10, verse 13, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is a quote from, I believe, uh, the book of Joel. So anyone who doesn't want to pay the penalty for their own sins can look to what Christ did to pay for theirs. Now I want to go over that just for a second again to help you to understand that. He willfully laid down his own life to make a payment for sins. And because he did not sin... He did not have to. And so whereas men, we would have to pay for our own sins, and Jesus became a man, he was without sin. He did not have to die. So whenever he willfully died anyways, he made a payment that it's almost like it was, it was a credit. Those of you who think about banking or accounting, there is a credit out there. It's almost like he wrote a blank check and he's like, hey, anybody who has debt, here's money. If you want it, whosoever wills, come and take so you can pay your debts. That's kind of what he did for us spiritually in the sight of God. But is that it? Is it just to change our destination from hell to heaven? No, that's not the entire point of the gospel. It is to change us. So Christ mainly did not come to deal with sins. came to deal with sin sins come from us we are the source of sin we are the ones being disobedient and so it's like he didn't come to deal with the fruit he came to deal with the root of the cause Um, look at second corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The purpose of him becoming sin for us when he was sinless was so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It was not just to get you to heaven. It was to change you. But how was this done? This is what I want to focus on. How was this done? What is the basis of the gospel? And what you think about this It's this phrase, we can't, but he can. The gospel of grace is God doing what you can't do for yourself. He was righteous before us because we are not. We're sinners. He became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He did what we were not able to do. He obeyed. And we can reap the benefits of that. Now, think about this we're going to say some statements first I want to say what the Bible says about something we must do and then I want to show what he is something in contrast okay we are told that we must not sin but he conquered sin and that he was without sin you must be righteous he is indeed our righteousness first Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30 it says but of God are ye in him who is Unto us righteousness, sanctification, redemption, and, these, and um, wisdom. And so he is our righteousness, we're told. And um, we're told that you must be holy just as God is holy. But the Holy Spirit is given to believers. It says in Romans chapter 8 that if you were not led by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, then you are not a believer. Um, you must love just as God loves. But God is love, and he can live, and he can love in and through you. You must pray without ceasing, First Thessalonians chapter 5. But he ever lives to make intercession for us. In the book of Hebrews it says that. We're commanded to evangelize the lost. But he has come to seek and to save the lost. We cannot do these things in and of our own strength. We don't have the ability. But it's effortless for God to be these things. It's effortless for Christ to be and do these things, because that's just who he is. That is his nature. That is his person. So let's lay it all out. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. You see, there's a broad way. And there is a narrow gate. There is a man who builds his house on sand, and a man who builds his house on rock. There is darkness, and there is light. There are two ways, and you have two options. And it's interesting because in the first century, there's this document called the Didache, which is a book. It's called The Teaching um, in uh, Greek. And it's this document that traveled around the early church to teach gentiles who were converted to christianity out of paganism and one of the first things it talks about is that it says there are two ways and it's up to you to choose which way you're going to go now we know this in the response in the sense of presenting the gospel but what we forget is this is how we're supposed to live now consider option one self-effort you trying to do things on your own and then you have option two god does it right I mean, we're not just talking about the gospel here. We're talking about how you're supposed to live, right? So self-effort follows the law, a checklist, a list of do's and don'ts. God says this is bad. Okay, God, I agree. I'm going to do that. Well, if you try that, you're going to find out exactly why you can't do that. If you could do that, then you would be able to go to heaven without Jesus. Now, option two, God does it, and he does it by grace, him doing what we cannot do. It's effortless for God to be God. Um, Self effort operates in the flesh. God doing it, he operates in us through his Spirit, which is given to us. Why do you think the Spirit of God is given to us? Self effort operates in the old man. Whenever God does it, he operates through the new man, where we are being renewed after the image of him who called us. Self effort, you're operating in. Adam. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty-two. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ you all be made alive. And that's what we are called whenever we are letting God work in and through us. We are in Christ, abiding in Christ. You are moved positionally from being in Adam to being in Christ. Okay? We'll talk about that more at another time. Now look at Galatians chapter 3, verses 1-3. through three. Paul says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Now see, this is exactly what most of us do without realizing it. But not in the same way the Galatians the Galatians thought that they were justified. They were getting deceived at believing that they were going to be justified by doing the works of the law of Moses. Now, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that many of us, we come to Christ, and we understand we cannot obey God. We're sinners. We need a Savior. And so Jesus came, you know, died for our sins according to the Scriptures, was buried according to the Scriptures, rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and we believe on Him that if we put our faith in Him, the grace of God will forgive us for our sins, and then we can be forgiven and go to heaven. But the fact of the matter is we're supposed to operate the entirety of our Christian life by that principle. We can't do it, but he can. It's almost like God's like, okay, I'm going to come and save you. And they're like, okay, thanks God, good job, now I'm going to go my own way. No, we are supposed to stay in that mindset. I can't do it, but God can, Lord. I die to myself. Lord, you live your life in and through me. But many of us, we begin by the Spirit of God, which we receive by faith, Paul says. Whenever we first come to Christ, we're born again by the Spirit of God. And then after that, we begin to start operating by the flesh, being like, okay, now that I'm a Christian, I need to obey God. And we we try to do it ourselves, and we get frustrated. We'll, We'll get up for a day or two and then run real well, and then we'll trip and fall into sin again. And then we'll dust ourselves off. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, which is true. And if you sincerely repent of your sin, God will forgive you. And then you pick yourself up, dust yourself off, start running again. Then you last about two or three days, fall into sin again. And you wonder why you can't get victory. It's because you need to abide in this. You need to abide in that reliance upon Christ to do and operate in you. It is through the Spirit of God that we mortify the deeds of the body, we're told. Now, consider Ephesians 2, 8-9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. So you are being saved by grace. God's working on your behalf through The sole condition of salvation, which is faith, which we're going to talk about next time. You have faith. You rely on God. You trust in God. That's what the word means, pistis, um, to believe on, to have faith in, to trust. You are relying on God to do what he can do. He says that if you repent of your sins and put your faith in what Jesus has done, he will save you. That's what we do, and then we do not continue in that same kind of reliance for every other promise of God given to a New Testament Christian. We look at things like, well, here's the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians chapter five, verse twenty-two through 20, uh, 24, right? And it says, okay, love, joy, temperance, meekness, faith, and all these sorts of things, right? And so we're like, okay, I don't, I don't operate that way. Therefore, I need to be, I need to work on being more loving, having more joy. Well, no, 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 you are completely missing the point. It says those are the fruits of the Spirit. You don't need to focus on those things. Yes, pray about them, examine them to see if they are operating in your life, but be like, okay, I'm having a problem with this. Let me pray that God teaches me to walk and abide in His Spirit who works these things out in me. And so some people miss it. They see the description of what a Christian is supposed to be. And they say, oh, I need to change myself to be that. No, a Christian is someone who follows Christ, and Christ works these things out in him. Now, I am not saying that you do not intentionally obey God. And we're going to talk more about that another time. I'm saying you need to not just sit there and look at the description and be like, let me change myself to be like that. No, you need to go to God, ask God to help you, rely on God's ability while you put forth your will to do these things. It's a very big difference to say, God, I agree with what you say is wrong, therefore I will not do it. And you're saying, Lord, I submit to what you say. There's a very big difference. There's a big difference between coming up beside the word of God and saying, I agree, and coming and putting yourself below the word of God and saying, I submit. It's a very different place because the one acknowledges everything must come from God. And your will is now to do his will. And you are trusting in him to give you the strength to do it. So that in the end, no one boasts in anything but in Christ who worked in, him, in them those things. Where you die to self. And all these things we're going to talk about through this series. But the grace of God. Here's what I want you to think about when you think of grace. It's God doing what I can't God giving me the ability to do it because I'm getting out of his way of my own self working it to try and do it. And I'm trusting and seeking him to do these things, to give me the grace to do these things, the power to do it. And that's what the grace is. Grace is the power to do it. For by grace you are saved through your faith. And again, try not to get off on all these tangents because we're going to get into it in particular throughout this series. But why is it the power to do it? Why? Because it's God who is the Holy One being holy and righteous and loving in and through you on your behalf. Consider what Christ told his disciples in John 15:5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me ye can do nothing. He's like, I'm a vine, you're like branches, you just cling to me, you abide in me, and I'm going to provide you for, for you the sustenance to be bringing forth the fruit. That's the point of what he's talking about. You see, abide, the underlying Greek word meno, means to continue, or remain, or dwell in. A believer is compared to a branch that is growing out of a vine, unless it stays connected to the vine, it will die it has to continually be taking in sap from the vine. The result, it brings forth fruit. And so likewise, a believer is to continue in reliance upon the grace of God, God's ability to do in and through them what they cannot do themselves. Otherwise, you will be separated from Christ, who is the source of your life. Note what Christ says, "...for apart from me you can do nothing." And so when you're not doing it right, you know exactly what the problem is. You're not abiding in him. And so without him, you cannot bring forth fruit. You cannot be pleasing to God, and you cannot do it. Um, consider what Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verses 20 and through 21. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. He says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. He says, if if I could do it, if I could do it through self-effort, through the law, then Christ didn't have to die. But he says, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I am denying myself, my experiences, my emotions, the lust of the flesh. I reckon myself dead indeed into sin, and I'm giving God that place to lead me. This is one of the problems. We are sitting on the throne. We're the ones calling the shots. And people think that that's somehow different if you agree with God no, because then whenever something comes up and you don't agree with God, you're going you're gonna to turn away from him, really. But the gospel is a call to die to yourself. Christ died for you so that you might have his life. So you give your life to him and die to yourself. Paul says that he no longer lives but Christ lives in him it's the grace of god working through him by the spirit of christ living through him this is the point of being born again to be given the spirit of god himself to dwell in you and begin leading you and paul mentions this in another place in second corinthians chapter 5 verses 14 or 15 and verse 17 it says, For the love of Christ controls us, or constrains us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. You die to yourself, and you let Christ live in and through you. And this is what we mean by dying to self. Um, the best way to illustrate dying to self, I want you to think about, uh, for instance, where it says that God the Father is invisible, the only immortal, one, invisible, the only wise God. It says He um, dwells in the light that no man can approach unto. It says no man hath seen God the God at any time, referring to God the Father in His divine essence. So, if God's invisible you know let's, let's set apart the fact that christ is the visible image of the invisible god for right now okay if god's invisible and he's like waving at you right you can't see his hand right and and so he could be doing all sorts of things to try and get your attention right waving his hand at you again using an illustration okay this is not literal this is not what literal doctrinal thing but just trying to illustrate the principle And so God could wave at you, but you can't see his hand. It's invisible. Let's see, that hand is pointing at you, right? And it's like, oh, he's trying to get your attention, but you can't see it because it's invisible. And let's say he's even like beckoning you to come to him. And he's like, oh, come on, come on with his hand. But because it's invisible, you can't see it. And so you missed all this communication from God. Well, how can we solve this? Well, what if there's something made in the image of a hand that is meant to cover it? To completely articulate the movements of the hand, like a glove. And so let's imagine that God puts a glove over His invisible hand, and now you can see it. It's moving, it's showing the same waving, it's showing the same pointing, the same beckoning. And so now, whenever God waves at you, you see it. You're like, oh, He's waving at me. Whenever you see Him pointing at you, you're like, oh, He's pointing at me. Whenever you see Him beckon and be waving for you to come near, now you see, like, oh, he wants me to come near. Now, why would that work? Because the glove is allowing the hand to move it and make visible and manifest what is invisible. Now, this is kind of what I mean by dying to self. You see, well, how? Because the glove's not fighting. Now, imagine that would not be a very effective glove if it was resisting the movements of the hand. It would be trying to do its own thing. And even think about it, if you pull off a glove... A glove cannot be a hand. It is not meant to be a hand. If you said hey, here, if you took off the glove and said, Here, glove, go turn off the light, and you dropped it, it would just fall flat on the floor and not be able to do anything. And this is kind of like us. You see, we are told that we are made in the image of God. We are not God. We are not deity in any way. But by yielding ourselves to God to do in and through us, We can become partakers of the divine nature. This is literally what the scripture says. We are made to reflect the glory of God, to be used by him. And this is what I mean by dying to self, to get out of the way. Let your own desires, your own will, that part of you seeking to establish and protect your own life, your own reputation to seek wealth, ambition, and all these things, get it out of the way, yield everything to God. And say, Lord, I'm just going to give all these things to you. And again, we'll talk about this more in depth later. But that's what I mean by dying to self. Get out of the way and let God do what he wants to do. And so let's summarize. You can't do what God requires of you. But he can if you get out of his way. How does someone first come to Christ? They repent of their sin. or They turn from them. And they believe in what Jesus has done for them. They turn to him. And this is exactly the state that we're supposed to stay in. Stay reliant upon Christ. Not just for forgiveness of sins on the basis of what he accomplished by his death, burial, and resurrection, but for him to work out his life in and through you. And so let's consider some verses. Um, Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7 says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so, or in this manner, walk in him. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and overflowing with gratitude. So the same way that you first received Christ, that abandonment of yourself, walk that way in him. Um, 1 Corinthians 15.10 Um, This is a verse that really helps you to see that grace is not just a forgiveness thing. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15.10 But by the grace of God, I am what I am. This is Paul talking. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. It was the grace of God with and in Paul that was laboring through him. And so think about it that way. That is what Paul credits the laboring that he does. He said, "God, you know, I am what I am by the grace of God, and His grace toward me was not was not futile. It wasn't worthless. But I labored more than all them." He says, "Yet yeah, not I, but the grace of God with me." He gives all credit to God working in and through him. Second uh, Corinthians nine eight. This is a good one to memorize. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in all everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. And so you see, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that you may have an abundance for every good deed. Okay? Um, a good one. Hebrews twelve twenty-eight. I love this one. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve god acceptably and with reverence and godly fear well how do we serve god acceptably with reverence and godly fear let us have grace paul says hebrews 12:28 and so this is what i want you to think about as as uh, until the next time i uh, go through the next one where we talk about faith or beginning to talk about faith Be thinking about this, that you need the grace of God working in you daily. Begin praying about it. Begin asking. Consider these verses that we've gone over and really pray about them, saying, Lord, teach me to abide in that way, to rely on you for all things as I seek to do your will, relying on you to give me the strength to do it. So that in the end, I will just glorify Christ and say, Lord, thank you for giving me grace to do that. This is what is meant First 1 Corinthians 131, which is a quote, I believe, from Jeremiah, which says, so that no one may boast except in Christ. So one more verse, and just to kind of lead into next time when we talk about faith, as it pertains to this particular subject. In Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, we read, Therefore, having been justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That's Romans chapter five verse one or two. So we're justified by faith, and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, Through him, that is through Jesus Christ, we have access by faith into what? Into this grace in which we stand. You want to know how to have access to the grace of God? It says, by faith in Jesus Christ. And it even says in another place that all the fruits of righteousness are by Jesus Christ. So be thinking about that. Thank you for listening to Remnant Bible Fellowship we do hope and pray that you would commit your life to Christ and continue in him. We desire to see people seeking Jesus Christ and coming to know him personally. If you have questions about salvation, the Bible, or your own walk with Christ, please contact Brother Jonathan by email. Brother John, that's J-O-N, at remnantbiblefellowship.com That's Brother John at remnantbiblefellowship.com